This is Cultured Hollywood for Smart People for Wednesday, February 26th, 2020. I'm Nico. I'm your host. We're talking movies, television, music, and so much more in a way that smart people can enjoy them. Thanks for being here. Happy to have you on a Wednesday afternoon. I always appreciate it. Uh, gotta be honest, y'all. Having a rough week. A rough couple weeks, really. Rough life when it comes down to it, you know? <laughs> Just having a subpar life. I'd like to run this one back. Love to hit the reset button on this. Uh, <laughs> anyway, my, my rough week, rough couple weeks, rough life. It makes me extra eager to get in front of a microphone today and talk about Hollywood because uh, I love this. This is just a great time. Speaking to y'all for an hour is a real calming thing in my life. Um, so let's just get into it. Let's talk about pop culture because that's what you came for and that's what we're going to do. And we're going to start with what I perceive to be the biggest story in entertainment this week. And I'm not sure if you're interested. I think generally speaking, I like to stray away from the inside baseball. You know what I mean? I try to get as outside the weeds as possible because the further in the weeds I get the more bored you become because if you're really into entertainment if you're really into popular culture you've read everything there is to know about the business you can seek that stuff out and you don't need me playing middleman but you come to this show for the cliff notes the short version only the uh, most prominent of highlights it's like a guy that watches sports center because he doesn't have time to watch the games so, yeah, I, I don't think you care what Warner Brothers is trading at on Wall Street. I don't think you care what the board of directors of Netflix just voted on. You don't care about the business. You just care about the content. But I'll tell you what. Often business and content go hand in hand. And you have to have an awareness of both in order to fully understand what's happening in show business. How the art that is presented to you in a movie theater got to be. Uh, it, it, it's a holistic thing. You have to know a little bit about every stage of the process. And I'll tell you what, this story that broke just yesterday is perhaps the most significant behind the scenes story we've had in quite some time. Bob Iger, the CEO of the Walt Disney Company, has stepped down from his position and the company has named a successor. I'm reading this off of The Hollywood Reporter, my sworn nemesis in life. The Walt Disney Company has a new CEO in a seismic move. The conglomerate said on Tuesday that it is naming Bob Chapik as its new CEO, succeeding Bob Iger immediately. Iger is assuming the role of executive chairman and will lead the board through his contract's end on December 31st, 2021. Iger will also lead all creative development at Disney. On a call with Wall Street analyst Tuesday, Iger said that the Disney board had identified Chapik as his potential successor quite some time ago. The company has gotten larger and more complex in the recent 12 months, Iger added. With the asset base in place and our strategy essentially deployed, I felt that I should spend as much time as possible with the creative side of our businesses because that becomes our biggest priority in 2021. Chapik signed his contract to become CEO on Monday, and it runs through the end of February 2023. Iger signed a revision to his contract the same day, assigning him his new title and specifying that he will, quote, continue to, to direct the company's content creation through the remainder of his deal. This is huge. Bob Iger, after 14 years as the head of Disney, is stepping down. 
I wouldn't necessarily categorize this move as shocking, although some analysts in uh, in the entertainment press are categorizing it as such. I thought we had gone through this like three or four years ago. And in fact, we had gone through this three or four years ago. I was reading on the Wall Street Journal just this morning. Iger has announced retirement plans four times since 2011. Initially, that retirement was going to come in 2015. He remained on for it looks like five more years. And even now he is not leaving the company. He's just being reassigned to a new role. And I also think when Disney Plus was announced or at least when it launched in November, it was billed as Bob Iger's last stand. He wrote a book that came out around the same time. He had been doing a lot of press. He was speaking at press junkets. And uh, he was very clear that his days at the Disney Corporation were numbered and that Disney Plus was going to be the, the uh, the, the final element of his legacy. It was going to be his last stand, his last significant... Um, con- contribution to the entertainment landscape. So I'm not shocked by this. Evidently, some within the company were shocked by the timing because they didn't see any warning. It was just an out-of-nowhere announcement. Um, but uh, he's been at the company for a very long time. Again, he signed on in 2005 and um, really changed not only Disney, but changed the entire entertainment landscape in a very profound way. And look, if you're going to write a book about the evolution of the movie industry, you have to devote at least a full chapter to Bob Iger. This is one of the 10 most significant executives the business has ever seen, whether you like it or not. And I admit sometimes I did not enjoy his reign so much, but he forever changed the way movies were made. And I was sort of thinking about this before we started recording how do I contextualize his legacy in uh, in the history of film? And I'm thinking back to the 40s and the 50s and the 60s, the golden age of cinema, as some historians will call it, when studios reigned and they just churned out content because audiences were hungry for it. Who was the star in the 40s, 50s, 60s? It was the actor. It was James Stewart. It was Clark Gable. It was Catherine Hepburn. It was Greta Garbo. It was Humphrey Bogart. It was Marilyn Monroe. It was Elizabeth Taylor. The actor was the star, even more so than today. We still have movie stars, obviously. People will still go to the theater to see their favorite actors, but not like the golden age. It was about the actor. The actor was the draw. And then you get into the 70s, and it's sort of this new golden age the age of auteurism, directors become the star. Francis Ford Coppola, Martin Scorsese, George Lucas, Steven Spielberg change the industry. They take some power back for themselves. And now all of a sudden, it's a Martin Scorsese production. It's a Steven Spielberg production. It's a Francis Ford Coppola production. That's enough to get audiences into the theater. And that carries on all the way to the 90s when another very important studio executive named Harvey Weinstein started Miramax. And Harvey Weinstein, of course, in the news this week for totally different reasons. But here's what Harvey Weinstein did. He said, I'm going to take all this money and all this influence and I'm going to give it to these guys like Quentin Tarantino and Steven Soderbergh and Robert Rodriguez and I'm going to keep it affordable and I'm going to bet on the talent. Independent cinema takes off. 
That's Harvey Weinstein. That's the age of the director. And then we get into the 2000s and the 2010s and now the 2020s. What's the star now? Take a look at the box office. Avengers Endgame, number one movie of last year. In fact, number one movie of all time. Stars Robert Downey Jr., Chris Evans, Chris Hemsworth. Not exactly household names. And it's directed by these guys named the Russo Brothers. Their biggest credit before entering the Marvel Cinematic Universe was episodes of the NBC sitcom Community. Here's what Bob Iger did for the movie industry. He made the intellectual property the star. It was once the actor, then it was the director, and now, in 2020, it is the brand, it is the name, it is the label. That's why you go to the movies. Now, of course, sequels have always been a thing. The Star Wars franchise was already the most significant pop culture American export long before Bob Iger took over the Disney Corporation. But he ushered in a new wave of cultural dominance. In 2005, he buys Pixar, the biggest animation studio in the world, had already put out two Toy Story movies, had already put out Finding Nemo, already put out The Incredibles, already put out Monsters, Inc. and A Bug's Life. And then in 2009, he buys Marvel Studios, which at the time had only put out the original Iron Man and the Incredible Hulk. And we should also note, did not have the rights to Spider-Man, did not have the rights to the Fantastic Four, did not have the rights to the X-Men. He bought the Island of Misfit Toys, Captain America, Thor, Guardians of the Galaxy, Doctor Strange, Black Widow, Hawkeye. We know how that turned out. Most successful franchise in the history of Hollywood. 2012, he buys Lucasfilm from George Lucas. $4 billion deal. Puts Star Wars and Indiana Jones in the hands of the Disney Corporation. Star Wars had been sitting idly for over a decade. There was a television show on Cartoon Network called Star Wars The Clone Wars. But now a new trilogy was coming along with two spin-off films and a television series on Disney+. That franchise has diminished in some returns, but still dominates culture. And then just last year, the granddaddy of them all, 21st Century Fox. Wow. $71 billion. Fox now under the Disney umbrella. Bob Iger's legacy, let's be honest, has been defined by imperialism, has been defined by ruthless capitalism, mergers and acquisitions and swallowing corporations alive. Disney is a world eater. It leaves no small studio left in its path. It will not cease until it is the only film studio still operating in this country. I truly believe that. That is the course that Bob Iger set for this company 14 years ago. Fox, Pixar, Lucasfilm, Marvel. All under Disney's umbrella. And let's be honest about this, people. 
all make pretty damn good movies. Like, it's very easy to be cynical about the Iger era, and certainly I have been cynical about the Iger era. And I have poked fun at this guy, and I have sometimes ranted about him on this very podcast, and I am not a huge fan of the way the movie industry is going, but I do recognize that this is a necessary evolution. This is how movie theaters survive. By putting movies in theaters that people are interested in seeing at the theater. Big screen experiences, CGI clusterfucks. That's what audiences crave. And I understand that. The only reason you go to AMC three times a year is because the MCU has just released a new movie. I get it. And that's okay. I'll take it. If you're allowing that movie theater to remain open to show Parasite and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and The Irishman, I'm okay with you having your Space Wizard movie. But the other thing we have to keep in mind, we have to be honest about this, before Lucasfilm was acquired by Disney, the Star Wars franchise was a mess. And I have my qualms with many of the new Star Wars movies. I absolutely abhor Episode 9. I am not a huge fan of the spinoffs. I think Episode 8 is a masterpiece, and I think 7 is whatever. But as a whole, that's a lot better than the prequels. It's a lot better what Lucas was cooking up with the Imperial Senate. You know what I'm saying? I'm cool with this version of Star Wars. And yeah, I uh, am not a huge fan of the MCU, but it's certainly better than anything DC has put out recently. I, I will see the Black Widow movie before I see the new Batman movie, and I will not think twice about it. In fact... What Marvel is doing now is certainly a lot better than what Marvel was doing in the early 2000s. Like, the the Spider-Man movies are not as good, but The Punisher, Blade, those original Fantastic Fours, give me this. Give me Doctor Strange 2. So, you're allowed to do this. You're allowed to ruthlessly acquire your enemies You are allowed to swallow Hollywood alive and churn out your reboot after reboot after reboot if you keep them good. Like Bob Iger has not only acquired brands, he has enhanced the image of some of these brands. He has made the Disney label one you can trust. Everyone forgets about this. Before Iger took over, the Disney live action output was abhorrent. Go on Disney Plus, scroll through some of those late 80s, early 90s live action Disney movies. George of the Jungle, That Darn Cat, My Favorite Martian, Mr. Magoo, Meet the Deedles, <laughs> A King in King Arthur's Court, or a Kid in King Arthur's Court. I made fun of this when Disney Plus launched back in November, but like... Disney was an animation studio, and a damn good animation studio, but it was closer to Pixar than it was to Warner Brothers. It was closer to Pixar than it was to Paramount. It was a brand, but it was a brand exclusively for children. And you had the Disney Renaissance, you had Little Mermaid, and you had Lion King, and you had Aladdin, and that was all well and good, but Disney was not the sort of world-dominating force we now know it to be. Bob Iger takes over, acquires all of these studios, acquires more specifically the intellectual property, and does right by them. 
There are very few fans of this material that are offended by what Bob Iger has done with their stuff. You know what I mean? You can have your problems with Star Wars. You can have your problems with Marvel. But as a whole, if we're being honest with ourselves, if we're really looking at ourselves in the mirror, I think we're pretty happy with what Disney has done with Star Wars. I think we're pretty happy with what Disney has done with Pixar. I think we're pretty happy with what Disney has done with our favorite superheroes. So he's done right by the intellectual property. He hasn't just acquired it and squandered it. He's made good stuff. His creative has been solid. So I think as a whole, if, we're, if we are uh, eulogizing the career of Bob Iger, if we are putting a bow on the Iger era, and, uh, and we're really being honest with ourselves, even me, the biggest cynic there is about this sort of thing, I think this guy has done a lot of good. And I think this guy has made necessary adjustments and has evolved in an appropriate way in order to keep his struggling business afloat. Because as much as we talk about the movie industry falling apart and the live theater going experience falling by the wayside and how streaming media is taking over, Disney is still thriving. Its stocks soar year to year. I think this took a little bit of a dip when Iger stepped down, but I mean, investing in Disney stock is one of the safest investments you can make on Wall Street. There's a reason why they've thrived, because they've always been a step ahead of everyone else. They saw where media was going. They, and just recently, last year with Disney+, Plus, they saw where content distribution was going. They're still going to make Marvel movies for the big screen. They're still going to make Star Wars movies for the big screen. They're still going to do animated reboots. But they're going to focus on streaming media because that's the future. And after just four months, Disney Plus is already one of the three uh, most subscribed to streaming services in the world. The stats just came out on this. It's Netflix, it's Hulu, and it's Disney Plus. That's it. Already, in four months, surpassed everyone's expectations because they're good at this. They make good stuff. Is it factory-made stuff? Is it corporate stuff? Is it impersonal stuff? Is it similar-looking and feeling stuff? Hell yeah. But it's good. And Bob Iger has always been, I believe, a steward for good cinema. Has been a steward for good television. Has been a steward for good content. And I don't know where the company is going to go. I really don't. I, I don't know what the future of Disney looks like. But I do think that Bob Iger has, uh, has left them quite a winning hand. You know what I mean? He has exited the poker table and given his chips to someone else. And it is just it, 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 a tower that is impossible to topple. I don't see how the next guy can fuck this up because Fox is now in-house. Um, so there you go. That's Bob Iger. And this is Cultured. And we will be right back. And when you know it, uh, just as we record this, just as we were talking about Lucasfilm and Disney and intellectual property, news breaks here on Variety. Steven Spielberg won't direct Indiana Jones 5. James Mangold in talks 
to replace um, this is an exclusive on Variety. I'm literally just reading this as we're recording. Uh, after a long development process, Steven Spielberg is handing the directing reins on Indiana Jones 5 to another filmmaker for the first time in the franchise's 39-year history. Sources say while a deal hasn't closed, Ford versus Ferrari director James Mangold is in talks to take the job. Mangold has been put in this situation before when he took over the Wolverine franchise. 2017's Logan was a blockbuster grossing $619 million globally and earning Mangold an Oscar nomination for adapted screenplay. Spielberg will remain on as a hands-on producer. Um, And according to a source close to the filmmaker, the decision to leave the director's chair was entirely Spielberg's and a desire to pass along Indy's whip to a new generation to bring their perspective to the story. I guess that's a little surprising, um, but I, I don't know. I, I feel like Spielberg has always had a, a real firm connection and grasp on the Indiana Jones franchise, and he was not that way with Jaws. He does the first Jaws, and then the studio takes it over and does like four more of them, and they all suck. But Spielberg never was involved with that, never wanted to make a sequel to E.T., for some reason, Indiana Jones um, ha- has always been a franchise that Spielberg was interested in, and I, I suppose that's because it's his most personal or or uh, or, or favorite work. I-, I don't know. I mean, the fact that he did Crystal Skull is pretty incredible when you think about it. <laughs> All those years later, he makes a-, a fourth Indiana Jones movie, and it's terrible. And now, to think that he was going to do another one, I think everyone rolled their eyes at that. I'm actually not too bummed out about this, though. Like, I- I'm not too precious about Spielberg remaining on to direct a-, a fifth indie movie. It's not like Coppola with The Godfather. You know, if they announced today, yeah, we're making a Godfather 4 and Francis Ford Coppola has not been informed. He's not involved in any way, shape or form. I think that would piss me off. You know what I mean? I'm I'm not too precious about Indiana Jones, though. And I'm actually surprised that another director hasn't taken it over already. And James Mangold, I guess, is about as good a choice as you can make. Um, All right. Well, there you go. I don't really have much of a take on that. But uh, breaking news. That's what I do, people. Breaking news for you. Anyway, let's talk Sonic the Hedgehog, shall we? Oh man, I'm I'm late to this. I'm I'm behind the eight ball. I meant to do this last week, but then I got lazy and I didn't do a podcast. So now two weeks later, we're talking Sonic the Hedgehog. Let me be clear: I have not seen this movie. I do not plan on seeing this movie. I have no personal attachment to Sonic the Hedgehog other than one Game Boy Advance game I owned in like 2004. I do not give a shit about Sonic the Hedgehog, but I think this movie is a fucking miracle. I'm 100% serious. I am having a hard time finding a historical equivalency to this. I, I, I have never seen anything like this in the history of movies, and I don't think we're ever going to see anything like this again, certainly in the age of the internet. Let me explain. Sonic the Hedgehog is a video game movie. Do you know how many good video game movies there are? I'll tell you. Zero. There are no good video game movies. The World of Warcraft movies sucked. All the Tomb Raider movies sucked. Super Mario Brothers sucked. 
So video game movies, the rule is they're all bad. Sonic the Hedgehog gets made into a movie. Jim Carrey and James Marsden star. A trailer is released about a year ago. Paramount's big bet. Here comes a Sonic the Hedgehog movie. And across the board, universally, everyone on social media, anyone with a Twitter account, anyone with a vague understanding of what Twitter is, was like, bro, what the fuck? What is this creature? What is this CGI blue thing with weird looking teeth? Why is Sonic the Hedgehog have smuch, such a big ass? Like, what? <laughs> what is this? Burn it with fire. Kill it. No one liked that trailer. The internet got together, which the internet rarely does. Only in times of, of insane crisis. Only in times of extreme peril. Does the internet band together and say, we all agree on this? And in this case, the crisis was the teaser trailer for Sonic the Hedgehog. No one was happy. We riot. And the studio says, we hear you. The internet complains and the corporation does something. So here's what Paramount does. They delay the release of the movie. They send it back to the CGI department. And they say, guys, fix this. And Paramount fixes this. Legitimately fixes this. (laughs) They reanimate it. We get a new trailer. We get a new look at Sonic the Hedgehog. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all ways in. And they say to Paramount, again, like a Greek chorus All in unison. We complained. You fixed it. And now we're happy about it. Good fucking job. Folks, this is already a goddamn miracle. This right here is an earth-shattering moment in human history. Never before has this happened. Understand something, folks. If I know nothing else, it's internet outrage. I am well-versed in the nature of outrage. Well-versed. This has never happened before. The internet mob makes a fuss about something. The corporation caters to their demands. And then what we get is better than what we had. And everyone involved is happy about it. This is impossible. Seriously. Because if there's one thing I know about the online mob, if there's one thing I know about Twitter, if there's one thing I know about Facebook, if there's one thing I know about Reddit, it's that the mob is never satisfied. They are always out for blood. They are lustful for human heads. They love to see corporations suffer. They love to complain about their intellectual property. We just talked about that last segment. So this right here, Paramount stumbled into a miracle. They fucked up. They were about to lose a lot of money. They fixed it. And the consumer base was happy. And then on top of all that, on top of all that, you look at the reviews for this movie on Rotten Tomatoes and you look at the box office returns. Now, I will admit to you, when I saw that trailer, I was not envisioning 
a a box office haul for Sonic the Hedgehog. And I certainly was not expecting mixed to positive critical reactions. I just assumed this movie would flop because all video game movies flop. And critics are certainly no fans of them. But I look on Rotten Tomatoes and it holds a 64% rating. It is fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. Most reviews I've seen are like, you know what? It ain't great, but this is the best Jim Carrey performance in like 20 years. And the animation is fun and I laughed a few times and you could do a whole lot worse on a February afternoon. And then I look at the box office, two weeks in a row, Sonic the Hedgehog number one at the domestic box office. With a budget of $85 million, it has already grossed 107 in the United States and $204 million worldwide. This movie is a success. People like it. People saw it. It was marred by controversy. It was marred by memes. It was the punchline of several internet jokes for months. Justified or unjustified, it was nothing but the target of nerd rage. And it listened, and it corrected itself, and the mob collectively did something right. I have, I seriously, I do not have a historical equivalency to this. I cannot think of another instance where something like this happened. I certainly cannot think of a time where the internet complained about something and then was satisfied by the results. I cannot think of a time where a movie that was this destined to fail from the second it was greenlit did so decent at the box office and did so decent with critics. You never see this. You uh, you never see this. <laughs> Where someone complains about the CGI, they correct the CGI, and we're all happy about it. I mean, I'm sure there are some movies that have corrected after the trailers were released. I'm sure. Um, I, 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 I am struggling to come up with a specific example. But I know in the past, movies have put out trailers, and they're usually the superhero bullshit. And, uh, you know, it, it gets negative press and I, I, the studio makes a few tweaks. But again, it never turns out all right. The movie always bombs. Right? And most movies with behind-the-scenes turmoil bomb. Especially if they're video game movies. And especially if they, uh, you know, lack the pedigree. <laughs> Of most mainstream Hollywood stuff. Like, I don't know who this director is, but this guy is a fucking legend now. Jeff Fowler. He has directed two movies. Uh, actually, three movies. In 2004, something called Gopher Broke. In 2010, a movie called The Goon. And uh, now in 2020, Sonic the Hedgehog. I'm telling you, I, I saw no chance of this being good. And I also saw no chance of the internet being happy about it. But you know what? The internet can surprise you from time to time. It is possible. Miracles are possible. As uh, as Nelson Mandela said, things are impossible until they happen. Um, I think Bernie Sanders quoted that at the debate last night. I'm not going to talk about the debate, by the way. Uh, maybe on the Nico show later this week, if you're into some political shit. I, I have so strayed away from politics 
over the past like year or so on my shows um mostly because i've been bored by them i mean I've, i've been discouraged by american politics like most people i think uh but i've also just been really fucking bored by the process not so much anymore after those last two debates Eh, not so much anymore. I'm ready to do it. Later this week, we'll talk about that. Uh, yeah, Sonic the Hedgehog. Congratulations to Paramount, to uh, Reddit, and Jim Carrey, and James Marsden, and Jeff Fowler, and everyone else involved. You did something okay. This is Cultured. We'll be right back. All right, lightning round. Um, let's talk about this friends thing, which is just preposterous to me. This makes absolutely no sense. And I'm hoping someone can explain to me what the big deal is here. Uh, so the friends cast, as they announced on Instagram this week, are reuniting for a special on HBO Max, which I guess launches this April. Uh, I will read the story now from QZ.com, which I don't know what it is, but I, th- I thought the headline here was the most appropriate I had seen yet. The Friends cast members are each making $2.5 million to hang out for an hour. <laughs> Thanks to streaming, it's a great time to be a former 1990s sitcom star. All six original members of Friends will reunite for an unscripted, that's the key word here, unscripted hour-long special on the upcoming streaming service HBO Max, Warner Media announced last week. The special will be available to subscribers along with all 10 seasons of the comedy when HBO Max launches in the U.S. in May. All right, I'm sorry, May, not April. Jennifer Aniston, Courtney Cox, Lisa Kudrow, Matt LeBlanc, Matthew Perry, and David Schwimmer will each receive between $2.5 and $3 million to appear in the special, according to reports from Variety and The Hollywood Reporter. Deadline reported that the actors could receive up to $4 million apiece for the brief reunion. That's four times what Aniston reportedly receives for an each episode of the Apple streaming drama The Morning Show, which is already among the highest salaries in the industry. Here's my point. This ain't a reunion special, people. This is a talk show. This is as much a reunion special for Seinfeld as that episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm was. Actually, less than that. It's as if the Friends cast went on Jimmy Fallon and talked about Friends for an hour. That's what this is. They're not writing a script. They're not doing an episode. They're not going to be in character. We're not going to refer to these guys as Ross and Rachel. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? This ain't a reunion special in the way you think it's a reunion special. This is honestly one step above a podcast. It seriously, you could put David Schwimmer and Lisa Kudrow and Courtney Cox and Jennifer Aniston and Matt LeBlanc and who else am I forgetting? Matthew Perry, of course. If you put the six of them together with a blue microphone like I have in this studio right now, they were out to dinner and I just recorded their conversation as an MP3 file and I put it up on iTunes. It is the same as what you're getting on HBO Max. Why don't they just do an episode of Mark Marin or Joe Rogan together? This is not a re... Now listen, far be it from me to give a shit. Because, let me be very clear, I do not give a shit. I do not give a flying fuck about a friend's reunion. It means nothing to me. I will not watch regardless of the content. Because I fucking hate friends. 
But still, the idea that these all that these guys are making two point five million dollars for an unscripted talk show for a glorified podcast. Oh, they'll be sitting on the set of friends and talking about their favorite memories. Man, these guys have the greatest agents. Dude, I I want this guy running my life. Whoever negotiated two point five and to three million dollars per person for an hour long talk show. I mean, these guys have done far more work for not only far less for free. I don't know how much Jennifer Anderson gets paid to go on the Tonight Show, but I know for a fact it's not two point five million dollars. Man, what is it with friends? I don't get it. I don't get where this hysteria is coming from. I don't know how Friends retroactively has become the most popular show on television 20 years after going off the air. What in God's name? Man, you kids love your your stupid friends. My sister loved my sister has watched this show 5 times over. There's like 200 episodes. She's watched it 5 times. I walk in there. I don't ask her how many episodes have you watched today. I ask her how many watches of the entire series have you done so far? Pretty soon it'll be double digits. And she's going to go crazy for this. Everyone's going to go crazy for this. They put that Instagram photo up. Everyone lost their shit. Man, I, I have some podcasts for you to listen to. I think it'll be a better use of your time. 2.5 million. Wow. We are just hungry for content. And they are getting paid. Good for them, I guess. Good for them. Rest in peace to HQ. Went off the air this week. Or off the phones this week. I guess that's not air. The app shut down. HQ, the trivia app that launched several ripoffs. Uh, and for a while there was like a legitimate fad. And looked like it was going to be a legitimate business. Well, it, it ran out of money and uh, go figure. It, like when you only have 50,000 people competing for $5,000 every single night. And you don't sell much on advertising. And uh, really their only source of income was selling information. And if you can't add new subscribers, if you can't bring new people in the door, there's not much information for you to sell. So bye bye HQ, bye-bye. I cashed out this week with a grand total. I had never cashed out. I just left all my money in there, hoping that one day I would strike it rich. Cashed out with a whopping 15 cents. 15 cents. I won, I think it was Game of Thrones trivia. Like, maybe a year and a half ago. Game, <laughs> Game of Thrones trivia. And uh, that was it. 15 cents. I, I won my share of the $5,000 grand prize. Um, I mean, just a, just a flawed service, in my opinion. I, I, I don't know. I, I enjoyed it while it lasted. I had a good time with Scott Rogowski every night. I know he annoyed some people. That guy amused me to no end. And I think the race to finally win the game was a fun one. But once you won and you realized that you were only rewarded with 15 cents... The, uh, the 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 mystique sort of wears off, and I certainly did not care about winning HQ all that much, so I stopped playing, and I think most people did as well. But there it goes, HQ, yet another online business 
that looked like a trailblazer, but ended up being just another fad. I also wanted to talk about some projects that are in the works. Two of them that were uh, announced this week, or at least are in early stages of development, and they're both TV projects. This uh, I'm reading from Deadline. Julia Roberts, Sean Penn, Army Hammer, and Joel Edgerton to star in Watergate drama Gaslit, series based on the Slow Burn podcast, and from creator Sam Esmail, who is behind Mr. Robot, uh, Julia Roberts and Sam Esmail, that this will be their second collaboration behind the Amazon series Homecoming. Um, let's uh, Let's read about the plot here. If I can find it. Gaslit is a modern take on Watergate that focuses on the untold stories and forgotten characters of the scandal from Nixon's bumbling opportunistic opportunistic subordinates to the deranged zealots aiding and abetting their crimes to the tragic whistleblowers who would eventually bring the whole rotten enterprise crashing down. Uh, If it sounds too political, it's because it probably is. Sam Esmail, uh, I don't think has ever been shy about his politics and even Mr. Robot which is sort of pitched as a uh, as a technology thriller and like a spy espionage show is deeply political. And as the show went on, it only got more political. I adore that show, even if I don't agree with the politics 100% of the time. Um, so I, I don't mind it from Sam Esmail. I think the guy is not only a great writer, but a phenomenal filmmaker. And a guy that I would love to see do something on the big screen because he has such a unique visual palette. And uh, I'm just going to watch everything this guy does. I really liked Homecoming on Amazon from a few years ago. Mr. Robot, I I named it one of my 10 best shows of the decade when I wrote about it on the website. It's uh, it's a guy that he is a guy, I should say, that just begs to be followed. You have to just watch whatever he does because he's really working outside the lines here. He's really pushing the boundaries and doing ambitious stuff. And to see this cast, this is one of the most loaded casts I've seen in a long time. Maybe since the People vs. O.J. Simpson or True Detective. Julia Roberts, Sean Penn, Army Hammer, Joel Edgerton, four huge movie stars. Well, three if you count. Or if you don't count Army Hammer. Which I most of the time do not count Army Hammer. But Julia Roberts and Sean Penn. Sign me up. Gaslit being shopped around to several networks. And then, from Showtime, this is really my bread and butter. This is is the main event here. Man, these guys, oh, these brothers, they always do this to me. I am weak, man. They are my kryptonite. Showtime orders the curse comedy pilot from the Safdie brothers and dot, 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 wait for it, drum roll. That was a, Damn terrible jump roll. Nathan Fielder. Bro. Showtime has given a pilot green light to The Curse, a half-hour comedy from Uncut Gems directors slash co-writers Benny and Josh Safdie and Nathan For You creator Nathan Fielder. Written by Fielder and Benny Safdie, The Curse stars Fielder and co-stars Benny Safdie. It explores how an alleged curse disturbs the relationship of a newly married couple who star in Flipanthropy, their troubled HGTV show. (laughs) Fielder will... (laughs) 
This is so ridiculous. Fielder will play the husband. Benny Safdie will play the producer of the HGTV show. The curse does not cite any real life inspirations, though its description does bring to mind Tarek L. Musa and Christiana Anstead, stars of HGTV's popular series Flip or Flop, whose marriage fell apart after the success of their show made them household names. Fielder, Benny Safdie, Josh Safdie, and exec- will executive produce the pilot, which is produced by Showtime. Uh, the project had been pitched with the Safdie brothers directing, but the duo will not direct the pilot. The network declined comment. Uh, obviously, I would like to see them direct the pilot um, because I love the Safties. I think they are, man, I would say probably my favorite young filmmakers because it's either them, Jordan Peele, or Greta Gerwig. But uh, these guys are just on an insane roll lately. And I talked about this when Uncut Gems came out. Before it came out, when it came out, and certainly after it came out, I, I was banging the Uncut Gems drum because it just felt like it was manufactured in a lab for me. Mike Frances is in the movie. Kevin Garnett's in the movie. It's about gambling. Adam Sandler in a dramatic role. It's kind of a comedy drama set in New York with an awesome soundtrack. And Josh and Benny Safdie, the masters of anxiety-ridden filmmaking, who made a movie called Good Time with Robert Pattinson a few years ago, are handling the material all of this felt so right. It was just perfect. And now the Safties are doing TV and the concept seems insane, which it is insane. Uh, I'm not a big HGTV fan, but I am certainly intrigued by it because these guys are behind it. And then on top of that, Nathan Fielder involved in the project. I wrote about Nathan for you on the website when I did my top 10 TV shows along with Mr. Robot. I think Nathan Fielder is legitimately one of our great comedic minds. And Nathan, for you, although a silly Comedy Central prank show, is one of the greatest pieces of television I've ever seen. And I am not, I am not exaggerating. I do not mean to speak in hyperbole. But Nathan Fielder is a genius. Nathan Fielder is not only a tremendous actor and like has such a unique presence but it's so inventive, so creative behind the camera. And as a writer, I am eager to see whatever this guy makes. Like, just go on YouTube, watch clips of Nathan For You, see what this guy is all about, understand what his unique sense of humor is like, understand what his unique persona is like, um, and then just cackle away. Cackle away at the idea of Nathan Fielder and the Safdie brothers working together this is a dream come true for me dude it would be like if kanye west and bob dylan put out an album together watch the throne style you know what i mean (laughs) oh man hollywood keeps making things for me i'm so thankful you know as much as you want to complain about there being too much content as much as you want to complain about streaming taking over and I, i i have i i there are too many shows for me to catch up on and I don't know where to start, and I, I've fallen behind on movies, and I'm just overwhelmed by everything. You miss the monoculture. All that is certainly true, and I am with you 100%. Until I see stories like this one, and I see that Nathan Fielder and the Safety brothers are collaborating on a pilot for Showtime, and I go, you know what? Let's fucking, <laughs> let's fracture this shit as much as we can. This is the type of niche programming I seek, I crave, I love. Oh, my God. Hollywood, it's an awesome place. Dreams do come true, it turns out.
I think that's all I got today. I have, uh, of course, begun the new seasons of Better Call Saul. The first two episodes debuted on AMC on Sunday night and Monday night. And I I, I remain firm in my belief that this show is as good, if not better, than Breaking Bad. It is between this and Succession for the best show on television for me. I flip-flop on that a lot. Better Call Saul is uh, is back for its fifth season, and it is just as smart, just as well-written, just as dreadful, just as uh, tragic, just as moving, just as compelling as it ever was. If you have not watched Better Call Saul and you are a fan of Breaking Bad, what is the matter with you, sir? Get on Netflix right now and watch it. Oh, those first two episodes were so good. There was a scene in the second episode involving an open house in the Albuquerque area. Like, it's literally just uh, Saul and his girlfriend checking out a house and walking around and looking at closet space. And my God, nothing happens on this show, but so much does actually happen on this show. That scene is just amazing writing and amazing acting. And uh, watch it. Man, why are you making this so difficult on me? Just do what I say, damn it. That's the podcast. I love you. This was fun. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Uh, go to the website, too many thoughts media.com, tmt.media for short. Why is this a thing? We talked about the movie Itchy the Killer with our friend Jeff. That is a troublesome movie. I will just say that. I would not recommend watching Itchy the Killer, but I would recommend listening to our podcast on Itchy the Killer. Because we had some visceral reactions to it, and uh, that may amuse you. It certainly did not amuse me. Movie Hall of Fame, I think we're doing the year 2010 this week. We were going to do 1960, but then I got swamped with other work. So 2010, we're going to declare the best movie. That should be out tomorrow. That is Thursday. I'm going to try to do an eco show by the end of the week, talking about the presidential debates and uh, maybe a little bit of Kobe Bryant's funeral. All that. Check it out on the Nico show. I think that's it. I think that's all I got. Oh, and I love you. I forgot to say that. You know I love you, though. You know I love you so very, 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 very much. And I do hope that you come back next week. Because that's when you and I get cultured. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.